morning will be from Luke chapter 2. If you're using one of the Bibles in the back, that is on page 858. We'll be picking up in verse 39 and to the end of the chapter. And in this passage is when uh, Mary and Joseph have taken the baby Jesus up to the temple and had a wonderful experience there. And then we pick up where we read chapter 2, verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. Filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him, were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let us take a moment to pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we are the Greeks who wish to come to see Jesus. And the answer that Jesus gave, we hang our hopes upon that. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. We want to be drawn this morning. Let us behold the Savior in a very special way. And may none of us be unaffected by it, but may we be changed forever. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Spurgeon's title uh, for the passage uh, that we've used as a basis um, uh, uh, for our Advent study is uh, highly appropriate and helpful. He just simply calls it a fourfold treasure. Uh, last week, Pastor Ted uh, brought forth one of those treasures. Uh, he began to unpack it uh, concerning Christ becoming wisdom uh, from God uh, for us. And I can summarize that message, uh, if I can do it with a really broad brush, what his intent was, was exactly what Paul's desire was for the saints at uh, Colossae. Uh, he said to them, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's what he was preaching about. There is an exclusive place where wisdom is found. It is hidden there. It is not seen as it should be in the world. But there is a place. There is a person. His name is Jesus. And it's not that some wisdom is found there. It's not that almost all of it's found there. It's that every last bit of it is found there. It is found in Jesus Christ. And it's a treasure. It's a treasure in Him. And if you don't have this treasure, you got nothing. I don't care how much you have of this world's goods and this uh, world's pleasures and this world's positions. If you don't have Jesus... You got nothing. And by the same token, if you have him, regardless of what your earthly estate may be, what, regardless of what situation you, you, uh, you are in, you have it all. You got it all. Oh, well, this morning then, here's our passage. And because of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So we'll, we'll have a look at the righteousness that Christ became uh, uh, for us and is presently ours. We'll see it defined, we'll see it demonstrated, we will see it declared, and hopefully we will see it drilled down deep applied. So first, let's see how, how, how we might define it. Righteousness may be defined biblically as moral perfection, as it relates to truth to justice, to virtue, and to conduct. That's what righteousness is. It's moral 
perfection. It always does what is right. God is the only one who can set that standard. We have our own standard, but it falls woefully short of his. His is the only perfect standard. And and because he has that standard, he is right. No matter what he does, in every direction, in every category, in every circumstance, in every purpose, in every intention, God does what is right. And even if we've had to say it with tears because of our losses, because of hard things that have happened to us, all those who have had those deep experiences, they say, God is right. God is good. God has never wronged me. God has never made a mistake. God has always done uh, what is right. So we have a definition then. This moral righteousness uh, that God is the personification of and that Christ came to demonstrate. We have it defined. Now we will demonstrate it. And these are just uh, categories of scriptures for you. They're just the ones that God gave me. I really like the ones he gave me. But other ones may come to your mind too and, 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 and dwell on those as well as, as we demonstrate um, what this righteousness is in the person of Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness. The Son of God became a man. This was the Trinitarian standard uh, for righteousness in this fallen world. God the Son, God the Son became an ovum. He became a zygote. He became an embryo, a fetus. The Son of God became, had a home. His first home, where did he first live? What was his first house? Was the womb. Was the womb of a young virgin whose name was Mary. (laughs) Pastor Jeremy Hatfield put a a post on Facebook. He just put two words. He said, he wrote... Mary knew. Got a a jillion likes and all kinds of comments. It comes from that song, you know. Mary knew. Mary knew she was a virgin. She knew she had never been with a man. She knew that she had the evidence of her virginity within her. She knew that. She was pure, lovely lady, a lovely woman. Uh, The song goes like this, though. This is just one segment of it. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm a storm with his hand? 
Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you have kissed the face of God. There's a lot of things she didn't know. She didn't know what Hugo just read for us. She didn't know that, that, that he would be in, in the temple at 12 years old and, and that he'd be teaching, that he'd be answering questions. Lots of things she didn't know, but she knew that he was the son of God. She knew that she had been overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And, and Joseph know, he knew too. Somebody put on, on that Facebook page of Jeremy Hatfield's, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to substitute Joseph's name in there and somehow work him into it as well. Because, um, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her from is in her is from the Holy Spirit. And even though he knew that he had done nothing with her, others might think that somebody else did. But he knew too. And Mary knew. He passed through the birth canal. <laughs> we could say God passed through that canal. He was nursed. He napped. He had his diapers changed. He learned to turn over. He was circumcised. In Luke one twenty one. he learned to eat with a spoon. This is God. Drink from a cup. To crawl. To be body trained. The, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had to be trained to walk, to run, to play with other kids and his siblings. Jesus was born. He grew. He thirsted. He hungered. He wept. He slept. He sweated. He bled. He died. He was fully man. And although uh, theoretically... Or hypothetically, according to human reason, he, he could have come as a teenager. He could have come when he was 30 years old. Let's say any age that he wanted to come. But this was not God's righteous standard. This was not the invention of men. It had nothing to do with Anything theoretical or hypothetical or rational has everything to do with his purpose and his power to cause a virgin to have her own DNA and to have the DNA of God. To have two natures like that. I cannot explain it. I believe it with all of my heart. I don't know what I'm talking about. I still believe it. (laughs) 
So the passage that uh, Hugo read um, when he was, um, well, uh, some ten years later, when he was twelve, in in John two forty eight, and when his parents saw him, we're looking for a demonstration of his righteousness. We see it coming from the womb, nine months in the womb, hooked up with an umbilical cord to the placenta that was provided by Mary. Ten years later, perhaps, when his parents saw him, uh, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be, I had to be, in my father's house or about my father's business? And they did not understand the saying uh, that he spoke uh, to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive or obedient to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. God's plan was in place. God's plan was the priority for our Savior Jesus Christ. He wasn't disobeying his parents. He was hearing the call of God. He had to be in his father's house. He had to be about his father's business. But at the same time, to fulfill all righteousness, he went down with them. He walked between holding the hands of two sinful parents who were going to make mistakes. We all do. But he was submissive to them. He was obedient to them. He, he, he spent his days, those years, reaching, reaching the righteousness, the righteous standard of moral perfection that God required for us. And by age 12, he had grown and was, and was continuing to grow in, in wisdom. What did he do uh, for those 30 years? We, we only got to see him one time when he was 12. What did he do the whole rest of the time? We know at least this. We know that he was obeying his parents. That's a word that we don't, that the world doesn't really like, obey. Glorious. You get the ability to obey God, you're the happiest person on the face of the earth. But he obeyed his parents. No doubt he learned to be a carpenter. He got splinters. He, he was learning. Joseph was teaching him. But he, he obeyed his parents immediately, completely, consistently, cheerfully. Wow, kids, what a standard that is. We're always going to be leaving something out. We may leave out uh, cheerfully, we may not do it immediately, and we may not do all of it, but he did. 
Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He was growing. He was increasing. He was learning. This is our Savior. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews says, In the days of his flesh he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. We can't learn everything from books. We can learn a lot from books. Read, 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 read lots. Flip those pages of that Bible and learn. But you can't learn just from there. You've got to learn from experience. You've got to be taught. You've got to be taught by teachers. You've got to be taught by the circumstances, by God's providence. You've got to be taught by other people's examples. We can't get it all from books. Neither could Jesus. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Here's a good commentary on this. uh, David Mathis, he's the executive director of... of, uh, of desiring God, he says that he learned obedience does not mean that he began as disobedient, but that he he began unlearned and inexperienced. And the dynamic experience of human life gave him experience and know-how. That he was made perfect doesn't mean that he began as sinful, but he began in sinless immaturity and grew to maturity. Jesus continued reaching and fulfilling all righteousness for us. As as a fetus, as an embryo, as a baby, as a toddler, As a teenager, as a young man, as a 30-year-old man, when he made his appearance publicly. So we've seen it defined. We've seen it demonstrated in the whole plan of God to make the Son of God a man. Fully man so he could save us. Now we're going to see it declared and these things overlap uh, Matthew 3 13 uh, through 17 says when he makes his appearance Jesus came from Galilee uh, 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 to the Jordan uh, to John to be baptized by him John would have prevented him saying I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is fulfilling, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus did not need the symbolism of what baptism is. He didn't need to show how he's the center of baptism. What, what baptism symbolizes is, is Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection. He was, going, he was doing that already. 
And if it was a baptism for repentance, he had nothing to repent of. Then he consented, uh, uh, Matthew says, and, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, here's a declaration. Here's a declaration of righteousness. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. There's, there's an approval. There's a recognition. There's a declaration of righteousness. Coming from God the Father, accompanied by God the Holy Spirit. With God the Son standing on the earth. He's, he's, he's declared to be beloved of God by God himself. And, and to be well pleasing to him. In John 8, 28. These are, these are just select passages. Jesus said to them. When you have lifted up uh, the Son of Man. Then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. He's going to say exactly what God the Father wants him to say. He's that righteous, not going to add anything else. He's going to say what God said. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Listen to this declaration. It's the truth. Christ has to tell the truth. This is, this is what he, he, he declares. And he who sent me is with me and has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Always. Never not doing what pleases him. The best we can say is that we sometimes do. That's all I can say. I'm not sure what that frequency is. So much is tainted with sin. Even our Jerry Bridges uh, uh, nuances that quote. Even my tears of repentance need to be washed in the blood of Christ. Don't think it's any big deal that I, that we have tears. John, John 14.30, after a discourse on his departure from this world being advantageous for them because he was going to give them the Holy Spirit. Tremendous advantage, according to Christ. They, they couldn't conceive of it. We, we want Christ. We, we want him standing here. We want to be with him. But with the Holy Spirit, uh, Christ could be all over the world. He wasn't going to just stay in one spot. He, he's here. He's, in, he's within you through the Holy Spirit. You know, I've seen him in India. I've seen him in Dubai. 
I've seen him all over Latin America. I've seen him in Cuba. I've seen him in Haiti. You've seen him wherever you've gone. Your brothers and sisters are scattered all over the earth. No telling where he'll take us. But we read this then. We're likely to pass over this verse. John 14, 30 says, I, I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. Who else can say that? Can Gandhi say that? Can Mother Teresa say that? He's got no claim. He's got no claim on me. Can a pope say that? Can a pastor say that? Can any person say, the ruler of this world is coming, got no claim on me. Nobody can say that but Jesus. Nobody. And he declares it. He, he makes it known. Paul declares it too in a crystal clear single verse in Second uh, Corinthians 5.21. Uh, Dave O. A quote of this this morning at prayer. I bless my soul. For our sake, for us, he made him to be sin. He wasn't sin. But for us, for our sake, the Father made him sin who, who knew no sin. No experience with it. He was tempted, but to be tempted does not mean sin. He resisted temptation, real temptation, but he never sinned. I I can't grasp it because we are so false and full of sin. I can't open my eyes without sinning. I can't be awake. I can't be breathing without sinning. But he was made sin He made him sin who knew no sin so that in him, and that's where we are, we might become the righteousness of God. If you got him, if you're in him, if you come to him, if you immerse yourself in him, if you embrace him, if you love him, if you follow him, you have that righteousness. And it is declared in in striking terms. In a a familiar passage in uh, Philippians chapter 2, 5 uh, through 11, where Paul tells us to have this mind, have this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, or which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is how zealous he is for to provide that righteousness. Going to let go of it. He's not going to hold on to it for his own advantage. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, a slave, being born. That's what we're talking about. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He was a teenager. He was a young man. He he was a full-grown man. He humbled himself. By what? 
by becoming obedient. That's the essence of righteousness. Obeying God, doing the will of God, fulfilling his purpose, his intention, his plan, doing what he says. Becoming obedient to the point of death. Even the death on a cross. Even that death. Even that painful, shameful death. Even that horrific death. That horrible death where he was so obscured in his appearance that he didn't even look like a man. You can read about it in Isaiah. All that blood, all that sweat, all that spit, all of that. All those words, all that mocking, all that shame, that place of Golgotha. (laughs) Even the death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that in the, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He is Yahweh. He is the Kurios of the Greek New Testament. To the glory of God the Father. That's a declaration, isn't it? Isn't that a declaration? That's what Paul said. The writer to the Hebrews says it in shorter fashion, but gloriously he says, He is the radiance. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact, the precise imprint, the exact expression of his nature. Is God righteous? Christ is the exact expression of it. He is the imprint of it. I used to say, I don't know if it's entirely reverent, I'm not sure, but if it was an icon on your screen and it said Jesus and you clicked on it, kaboom, because that's God. That's, that's who God is. And, and, as a, and he upholds the universe, including Titus. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification uh, for sins, he sat down. He could sit down because his work is finished. Of the, at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's his spot. Right next of to God, I can't explain it, but I know there's a man, there's a man, there's a man at the right hand of God. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I know that's right. I, I, I can't explain it, but I know that my Savior lives and he went bodily up into heaven and he took his seat at the right hand of God. Uh, Peter just says it like this in 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 uh, uh, Peter two twenty two he says he 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 committed no sin neither was any deceit found in his mouth that's how righteous he was he declares it in 
in again, he says, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And that's what's happening. That's, that's what's going on. That's what history is all about. People are being brought to God. Children are being brought to God. Well, here's some application then, just in, in our closing moments then. R.C. Sproul says first in his Facebook post, I, I, I like following these guys, man. He says it's wrong to think that he remained a babe. It's wrong to forget that he was a babe. Then he says this. He says, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we are filled, comma, with his. That's what we get. He, he's speaking of two things at one time. He's speaking of the imputed righteousness, that is, the righteousness that is laid to our account, the, the righteousness that's really ours. And he's also speaking of the imparted righteousness. The Im, imparted righteousness makes a person hunger, thirst for righteousness. I'm going to tell you unbelievers something that you may not believe. If we could be sinless right now, if we could get rid of all our sins, if, if somehow it was God's plan uh, for, for us to be perfectly sinful or sinless after a period of, of sinfulness, we would take it. We don't want any of your sinful pleasures. We lost our taste. We have no appetite for it. Keep it. We don't want it. We would, we would choose this. We would like uh, to be perfectly uh, righteous right now if it was God's will. Oh, oh, well, so the imparted righteousness is partial. It is uh, progressive. It is incomplete until we see him. The imputed righteousness is perfect. It is complete is unchangeable. Both of these things should be for, should produce joy in our hearts. We should rejoice. I have, I got an, I've got an imputed righteousness. I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I thank you, Jesus. I have an imparted one. It is imperfect, but it's real, and it's progressive. It's getting better and better, wider and wider, I hope so. First uh, John 3, 2 says, uh, uh, putting both of them together, he says, that, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We have an imparted righteousness. We are the children of God. We're, we're imperfect children. We want to obey. But, but the perfect imputed righteousness will be manifest because we're going to see him as he is. And then he says, and everyone who, who, who thus hopes, anybody that says this, anybody that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. 
That's what, that's what we do. We can't say we got, we got an imputed righteousness and then do nothing. No. No. We begin to, uh, to purify ourselves. Well, our first application drilled down is joy over our perfect, imputed, and our progressively imparted righteousness. Our second one comes from the context of the verses that we already quoted. Uh, the verses in, in Philippians 2, right before we are told to have this mind or attitude, which is also in Christ Jesus, Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That's a major thing. That, that, that's a major sin of omission that I have. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant, more important than yourselves. And let each of you look not only on his own interests, but on the interests of others. What would our church be like if, if all of us practiced that? Wow, it, it would be phenomenal. But we've we got to fight for it. We've got to work hard at it. We've got to, to, to deny ourselves, die to ourselves. Paul said, I, I die daily. Uh, Romans 12.10 says this. It's almost shocking. I want to do this and so do you. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. When's the last time you do that? I'm, I'm going to beat this guy that we're talking about. I'm going to outdo him in showing honor to him. It's going to be a competition. I'm going to see how much I can honor this person that you're talking about. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to win. I'm going to outdo you. Wouldn't that be something? I want to do that. It'll get rid of that critical spirit. It'll get that idea of degrading others. Always saying, no, no. Outdo one another in showing honor. Look for evidences of grace that you can talk about. Their accomplishments, their usefulness, their helpfulness, their abilities, their skills. Say something good about them. Then right after uh, that strategic passage that I just mentioned, that declarative passage, uh, Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing, grumbling or, or complaining. Whoa, man. This is, it's easier to stop smoking pot than to do this. Uh, people thought it was such a great big deal that Keith Maddy threw all that stuff to the wind. Do everything without grumbling or arguing that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation in whom you shine as stars, as lights in, in, in the world. You want your light to shine? Don't complain. Don't argue. Don't be an argumentative person. Be a peaceful, happy, glad person. Well, uh, the third application, and under this heading of of the 
uh, contextual ones is is this, and I'm only going to mention it. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. That's what it says. It, it says, as it is written, we must be intentional and purposeful when we speak. We've got to exalt Christ wherever we can. We've got to make people God conscious. We've got to brag on Jesus and not brag on ourselves. We've got to name him as the source and fountain of everything that, that is good and valuable. I won't say much about that because we're going to have two more sermons on this. But um, uh, because my friend Art Tolliver is here and he's not going to blush, he can't. He's pretty dark. <laughs> he's such an example to me when we're together of, of boasting in Jesus, uh, talking to people, not lowering his voice and asking them about their relationship with God and uh, telling them what his is and, and, and attracting people, even people that are walking away, keeps right on talking to them. They're, they're leaving. They got their coffee. They're going out the door. And, and he said, I'm telling you, keeps right on that. I want to be like that. Well, our fourth then, our fourth point then, under un, under drilling uh, down deep, is is for those that have not yet believed, uh, for those that are still lost in in their sins. What you really need, Charles Spurgeon says, God's children run home when the storm comes. That's right. But your problem is, is that you don't know you're in a storm. You don't know it. You need conviction for sin. You need to be afraid of condemnation and of going to hell. You need to come to the place where there's an utter undoneness, a helplessness, a desperateness. Because you're in a storm and you're unable to save yourself. And our hearts break for you. They really do. Anybody that's saved wants to see other people know Jesus and know that joy and know that forgiveness. Isaiah 64, 6 brings a storm. It says, we have all become like one who is unclean. Everybody. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Like a menstrual garment. Like a used SN or a T. You know what I'm talking about. That's what you're holding up to God for your righteousness. A menstrual garment. That's, that's a storm. That's a terrible, terrible thing. That's all we got. Another illustration. What if you were a young man or a young girl, but let's just say a young man. And you, you were so selfish and, and you wanted your inheritance uh, because you just wanted to have a good time. And your dad wasn't really that old. And you ran off and you had a lot of money and you had a lot of fun. You, you, you spent it all. You laid around with other women. But then while you were doing that, uh, you became in need. You didn't have any real friends. And... And you wound up working for a farmer, and he had pigs, 
And you and your job was to feed the pigs. And you were so hungry, but you didn't want to get in trouble because the pigs need to get fat. So you're hungry and you wish you could fill your stomach with what you're giving the pigs. Ah, it's a storm. <laughs> you're really low. That's, that's really low. But what if by God's grace, God's providence, you came to your senses and you got to thinking about your dad. And you said, I'm going to go home. I'm going home. I'm going to run home. And, and, and you did. You actually ran home and you, you prepared a speech to, uh, to tell your dad what you'd done and you're not worthy to be called a son anymore. And you just want to be one of the hired servants. But this is what happened. While he was still a long way off, he was a long way off, his father saw him. And he felt compassion. Wow, he didn't get mad. He didn't, there he is, finally, that renegade prodigal. No. He felt compassion. What did he do? He ran to him. There's a song, it's the only time I saw God run was when he ran to me. And he took me in his arms. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe. And put it on him. And a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. What is that? While he's stinking like he hadn't had a bath. What the best robe on him. It's that robe of righteousness. It's that robe of forgiveness. Of justification. Of love. Of compassion. That's what he got. What does he say then? He says, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is, and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. I want to close with this. And I'll still keep the sermon under 50 minutes, okay? I got a little time. Uh, something happened to me last Sunday that's never happened in my whole life. A father brought a son to me that I have a relationship with the family and and with their kids and uh, we do this from time to time. It's it it been months, maybe a year ago, last time we talked. He came into my office and and his father sat on the other side of my bookcase uh, 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 that runs parallel to my desk. It's 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 like a partition. He sat on the couch over there, and we we. We talked about spiritual things and we talked about baptism. We talked about the cross. It's all he wanted to talk about. He's 11. He's 11 years old. Never heard it. I've never heard anybody say this ever. He said, Pastor Keith, I want to believe right now. I want to believe right now. He actually said it earlier and I, it just... I want to believe right now. His father from the other side said, uh, "Oh, why don't you guys pray?" And and he wanted his son to pray first. And 
I'd pray after it, and it was, it was glory filled the room. It just filled it. He, he had told me when I asked him earlier about, you know, what are your sins? And he said, uh, I, I, uh, I disobey. In particular, my mom, you know, and, and he, he didn't go on with it. But when he prayed, he prayed, he confessed his disobedience, his covetousness, his lying, his stealing. He went down a list of, of sins. 11-year-old boy said that. And he told, he told God, he was trusting in Jesus that, that he wanted Jesus to be his savior. Wow. All I could do is weep. <laughs> I'm going to leave you with this. You lost sinner, please. Say right now. Say like he did. I want to believe. I want to believe right now. And put your head down. And run spiritually to your Father that will clothe you in the righteousness of Christ. And will have, as it were, a party for you. Don't refuse this. Don't let it just drift away. Don't just be moved by it and do nothing with it. Say, I want to believe right now. I want to tell you what a sinner I am, God. And I want Jesus. There's a simple prayer like that. You can do it. Uh, Let's pray. We thank you so much, O God Almighty and All-Merciful, for the righteousness of Christ. We thank you for the perfect record we have with you that we don't deserve that you gave us. Thank you, Jesus, for working it out all the way from conception uh, to your death on the cross. Thank you. We can't thank you enough. God, will you apply this message to our lives and help us, help us to be a humble people that esteem others, that excel one another in honoring one another and that follow, that purifies ourselves because he is pure. God, we look forward to seeing Jesus. That's a sure thing, more sure than we'll wake up tomorrow. We'll see Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We praise you in the glorious, righteous name of Jesus Christ. Amen.